Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Good day and welcome to this issue of Officer Roll Call. We are on today with the Executive Vice President of the Second Amendment Organization, Mr. Rob Pincus. Rob's got 25 years of educating background, over 20 years as a full-time reserve officer, most of that time spent as a training officer. He's written nine books, and he wrote the Live Fire Defensive Shooting Curriculum for the United States Concealed Carry Association. Uh, to say that he's expert in concealed carry would be an understatement. I'm glad to have him here with me today. I've known the man, got at least 20 years. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Frank. It's great to be here with you today. It's, it's definitely uh, interesting times uh, from both the, uh, the responsible gun owner view and the law enforcement view. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of these issues. I, and we're, we're glad to have this kind of conversation, both from the law enforcement perspective and from the citizens perspective. And what's obviously inspired this is the recent decision out of the Supreme Court, uh, the New York State and Rifle, let me correct myself, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated at all versus Bruin, superintendent of New York State Police at all. And I hate having to say those long ass legal titles. Um, so the, the New York State and Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin, or eventually we're gonna end up just calling it the Bruin decision, um, held that the special need or good cause clause is unconstitutional. Uh, from my perspective, that effectively makes the entire country shall issue. Am I correct in my assumption, do you think? I think so. I, I really, I think this is the final, uh, you know, keystone or the, the last domino to fall in the shall issue revolution or evolution that really started in the 1980s but picked up massive speed and swept across the nation in the 1990s um, there have been a few holdout states that have kept uh, including my original home state you know of New Jersey uh, that have kept the discretionary subjective policies of, that we know as may issue in place and uh, just like the McDonald case, struck down the few states that didn't have any uh, opportunity for defensive concealed carry, this case should strike down all of the May issue laws and get us to at least shall issue across the nation. So um, that's obviously good news, but it's different. Shall issue is and, and concealed carry by permit are very different from constitutional carry. Uh, as I understand it, constitutional carry means you can carry a gun, no permit required, concealed or open. Is that correct? Right. Permitless carry is basically if you can legally own the gun, you can legally carry the gun concealed for defensive purposes. Uh, you know, Vermont was the original permitless carry state. And interestingly, they still have no permit system in the state of Vermont. So um, as a Vermont resident, yes, if you can legally carry uh, legally own the gun, you can legally carry it. Uh, there are some municipal uh, jurisdictions, some cities that, that do ban concealed carry under certain circumstances, but generally a resident of the state can carry in the state. However, because they don't have permits, there is no such thing as reciprocity um, when they travel. So it's kind of interesting there that they, have, they, are, they were the original freedom state as far as concealed carry, but because of the way they do it, um, sometimes those residents, as it's a, it's a small state, it's easy to get across the border and you don't have any rights uh, that can be uh, reciprocatedly uh, recognized when you leave the state. So that's kind of an interesting deal. Now we have 24 other states that have um, what I would say is a more modern permitless carry system where, yes, if you can legally own the gun, you can legally carry it, but permits are still available uh, so that people can go through a, a shall issue process to get um, what's sometimes known as an enhanced carry right 
or a right that can be recognized by other states as well. Thanks for going through that because I was going to ask about it. Um, and I find that amazingly interesting that you have half of the country that doesn't require a permit of any type to carry a gun unless you leave the state and then you have to have a permit to carry the gun if you're from yeah, another state. I mean, that seems kind of ironic to me. There are technically some of the, the permitless carry states, about half of them, I think it's 13 of the 25 that extend their permitless carry right to visitors. So you could be, you could be, a, you know, you'd live in Manhattan, right? Where up until the Bruin decision there, there, it was the most restrictive place. I mean, technically it still is the most restrictive place as far as handguns and concealed carry law. But if you go to uh, Maine, you can carry without a permit there if you could legally possess a gun. And, and because private transfers are legal there, I imagine that, that, uh, that, you know, there's some ways that you could creatively be in that situation. Um, but, but the reality is that, yes, there's, there's many, many different shades along the spectrum from permitless carry to May issue. And then if you throw in uh, some of the territories uh, of the US uh, where you can't get a permit yet, I think that may also change because of this decision. It is definitely a convoluted thing to think about, and, and it's one of the reasons why people have to stay informed. Um, but obviously, we're a law enforcement show, so I, I want to focus on, particularly for law enforcement, how this might change doing business. I mean, we, we encounter citizens every day. Hopefully, all of us are acting professionally and courteously. Uh, I know I myself have worked outside of Washington, D.C. for more decades than I want to count. And, and I always tried to be polite when I encountered somebody, say, on a traffic stop. And then their demeanor decided what direction the rest of that traffic stop was going to go. But I was always taught that if I got pulled over uh, when I was off duty, I needed to surrender my credentials to make sure that that officer knew I was armed, I was carrying, we avoid the misunderstandings. Um, and I know there's varying pieces of this debate, but now that we're going to see an obvious expansion of people carrying concealed, is there what's considered a contemporary best practices, both from the law enforcement side uh, and from the, this, the legally carrying citizen side? Well, I, I think that there absolutely, there are uh, best practices for sure. And I, and I think that there's, there's some musts and then there's also some shoulds. And, and when it comes, let's talk about the law enforcement side first. You know, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, when I first went through the academy, when I first went through training, there were, I don't know, at that point uh, in the 90s, maybe there were 5 million people that could legally carry across the United States when I really first got started. Somewhere between 4 and 5 million would be my estimate. When you go back to the late 80s, there were less than 2 million people who could legally carry for defensive purposes. So the training that I got and probably the training that you got when we first entered into the, the, the field was basically anybody carrying a gun concealed was, was in the wrong and was a criminal until proven otherwise. And I think that's one of the reasons that as law enforcement officers, we were always taught to make sure that we identify ourselves as off-duty law enforcement officers, because eventually if we were carrying a gun or there was a gun in the vehicle, that was going to come out in the conversation. And we didn't want that to be a point of stress, surprise, uh, right. panic, you know, reactionary, oh my gosh, there's a gun, this guy must be a bad guy. Because quite honestly, that is how I think law enforcement looked at people who were carrying guns. Certainly if you go back to my dad's era in law enforcement, in, in Atlantic City, when he was working as a cop, there wasn't anybody that wasn't a cop carrying a gun in Atlantic City that was legal, right? Right. So, 
that mindset was still present when I entered law enforcement, that for the most part, if someone's carrying a gun, they're probably up to no good, you know, sort of until proven otherwise. Now, right. in, on the, in the mid-Atlantic, in the Northeast, I think that was probably the way it was for most cops. But out West, maybe it was a little different. Down in some parts of the South, maybe it was a little different. But in the 90s and the 2000s, that all changed. Uh, and across the country, law enforcement, we had to learn that, no, in fact, this is a, a right. It's a civil right. It's a right that lots of people are exercising. Today, we have over 50 million people who can legally carry a gun for defensive purposes concealed in the public space in our country. That's so amazing. It's, it's, it's an amazing, it's, it's a 25-fold increase. So this civil right that has, has existed, you know, one way or another, you know, it's, it's in the Constitution, it's the Second Amendment. It's been around for a long time, but it's only been exercised at the level that it's being exercised now um, in modern contemporary recent history. And law enforcement has had to adapt. And it's one of the things I address, and I still teach at a lot of conferences, um, certainly any officers that come to my classes, we talk, you know, this, this inevitably comes up and realizing that, just because someone's carrying a gun, it doesn't mean they're a bad guy. Uh, just because someone's carrying a gun, it doesn't mean you have to fear them. Just because someone's carrying, it's all the, all of those things that I think the Second Amendment savvy police officer knows that agencies and policies have had to catch up with. And, and again, best practices, officer survival practices have had to catch up with. I, I can think of maybe the most high profile case that I've seen in recent years where it really looked to me like the officer jumped to a level that I would call panic once he realized there was a gun in the vehicle. Um, and that would be the, the, uh, the case in uh, Minneapolis where the suspect was pulled over because he was suspected of looking like someone they were looking for in a robbery case. He was in the car with his girlfriend and with a child. And when the officer found out there was a vehicle or a gun in the vehicle, uh, his, his pitch went up. He started speaking faster. Um, he became much more um, assertive, I think, and even aggressive with the people in the car. People in the car started to panic. Communication broke down. Uh, the guy was, it reaches into the glove compartment and gets shot. You know, it's the classic kind of misunderstood action. But I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that communication broke down when that officer realized there was a gun in play. And that's what we don't want to happen. So we need officers, as you said, to realize that there is a really high chance that when they encounter somebody, whether it's, you know, bumping into them in the park, whether it's, you know, hey, a suspicious person, I got a sir, can I talk to you? I got a call. Or certainly it's that uh, proverbial traffic stop, the routine traffic stop, where it's very, very likely nowadays that you're going to encounter a firearm somewhere on your shift. And that can't be a moment of panic. It can't be a moment of emergency. It needs to be accepted as commonplace, and we need to move forward from there with a mindset for, for safety and, and de-escalation if, if things uh, get out of hand. So, I mean, you've known me, like I said, we've known each other a long time, and you know I'm a pro-Second Amendment guy. Um, I've always espoused, when I, when I talk to my friends, my wife certainly, my children, if they're carrying, you know, if they get pulled over uh, or if they're, um, they encounter a law enforcement professional through the course of the day, uh, if there's an interaction going on where the officer, where it's a control situation, I mean, if it's, hey, how you doing at the ice cream shop, you don't have to go, hey, I'm carrying a gun. But if right, you get pulled right, over, right. I make sure that they know when they surrender their driver's license or registration, uh, the insurance card in the states where it's required, and their concealed carry permit. Um, I have one of my my sons that argues with me that it's not the police officer's business. It's, a, you know, he's it's his right and he doesn't need to be made aware of it and blah, blah, blah. All the rest, everybody else seems to understand that 
Um, with that simple act, to me, they're demonstrating, look, I'm lawfully carrying, I respect the, the potential of the situation here. I want you to know I'm carrying so that it's not a surprise. It doesn't have to be a concern. It's just another circumstance. Now, let's, let's move on with this traffic stop. Um, do you, what's your outlook on this for, for things like traffic stops? For, for My bottom line is, is that absolutely you should inform the officer of the presence of a firearm in the vehicle, and especially if you're carrying it on your person or if it's staged in your vehicle within reach for defensive use. Now, there's a couple of the nuances to that, because I, I, I know that there are the and I'm a, I'm a libertarian and I'm pro law enforcement and I'm pro Second Amendment and I carry guns all the time. I work in the gun industry. I've been on both sides. of it. I've been all three sides of this. I think if there are three sides of it um, and I have those same friends and I know that there's people who will listen to this and say, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy is saying we should let the cops know our private business, things like that. And the reality is it's for your own safety. So there's this there's this technical issue. Uh, again, is it the cop's business? Well, in some states it is, right? So some states you have a duty to report the fact that you're carrying a, a firearm. And right. that duty to report, you find out about that when you get your concealed carry permit. Now, as we get into constitutional carry, that's where it starts to become one of those things where, you know, if I'm driving through another state and I don't know that I can't make a right on red and I don't see a no right on red sign, but I, and I make that right-hand turn and I get pulled over, ignorance is not an excuse. Well, the, the $50 ticket and the court costs is, is a little different than getting shot, you know, or, or feeling yeah. I need to pull my gun to defend myself on the side of the road from an officer of the law who pulled me over because I was speeding. And I know I was speeding, right? Like, that's one of the things I always say about these interactions is I do get pulled over and I know I was speeding. So for me, I'm now, I'm getting past the, do I need to? And, and I'm going to, should I? And here's why I think you should. The number one bottom line technical reason why someone should is that the bad things that happen, if there's uh, you know, a, a not pro Second Amendment officer, if it's a jurisdiction that is hard on uh, concealed carry, if, it's, if it, there's something, you know, you know you crossed a state border and you weren't supposed to be carrying in that state, but you are, um, what's going to happen next? All the things that happen after you've said, hey, I just want to let you know, I am carrying a firearm for defensive purposes responsibly. I don't want that to cause a problem. Once you say that, 99.9% .9 of the times, the things that potentially go wrong for you can be settled with paperwork, maybe some legal fees, and in court or in a, in a conversation with the supervisor that's going to show up on the scene. The things that go wrong, if you don't realize your gun is exposed, you don't realize there's another officer looking through the other side of the vehicle, keeping an eye on things while you're interacting with the primary officer. When they see that gun and they didn't know it was there, things have a tendency to escalate very, very quickly. And, and for, for all the understandable reasons, if the officer thinks, well, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but now I see that he's armed and he didn't tell me he was armed. And as, as you said, in a, in a society and in a mindset where why, if the guy's a good guy, why wouldn't he have told me he was carrying a gun? If it's legal, why wouldn't he have told me he's carrying the gun? Right. Now you have that potential for, for an escalation that can't be solved in court because it ends up in a hospital or in the morgue. And that to me is the risk versus benefit of, of standing your, your privacy ground and, and saying, I'm not going to tell that cop. It's not his business. To me, doesn't make any sense. If you're carrying legally, if you're carrying responsibly, if you're doing the right thing, if you have the right intentions, if you have the right mindset, letting that officer know 
um, with your hands on the steering wheel, palms up, windows down, lights on, uh, letting him know, hey, by the way, I, I'm going to comply. I'm going to give you my license, but I don't want to reach to my wallet. I don't want to reach the glove compartment. There is a gun wherever it is, and I'm carrying responsibly slash I'm carrying legally. I think that those things are incredibly important to moving past the gun and just dealing with the traffic stop or whatever the other interaction is. 100%. So we are going to run out of time here shortly, but I got one last question I want to ask you about because I, I upset people with my outlook on this. And, and we, we both are very pro Second Amendment guys. I hate any kind of infringement. But as a police officer and as a firearms instructor now for well over 25 years, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in education, education, not legislation. So I'd like to see people who do get the permit, constitutional carry states aside, hopefully everybody's smart enough to go out and get proper training. Hopefully we've got families raising their kids with some basic firearm safety training going on. But if you're going to get a concealed carry permit, I'm a big believer in uh, a little bit more classroom time than the four hour, here's how you don't shoot yourself class so many places are, are providing or whatever it is. How do you feel about education mandates? And that's where the question comes in. How, is, is a legislated mandate of education for the permit process an infringement or does that depend on cost and time to me? I think any requirement is an infringement. I mean, that, that, that to me is a bottom line principle issue that, that permitless carry if, you know, should be the law of the land, because that to me is what the Second Amendment says and stands for, shall not be infringed. However, I think it is, it is negligent of anyone to carry a gun without any training or preparation for how to do that, um, first, effectively, and second, responsibly. So the burden be, is on the individual. And I, and I think as a gun community, the burden needs to be on us to, to make that the standard, that anything less than uh, the, tr the mindset that you need the education, you need the training, you need the proper gear, you need to carry the gun in a good holster, you need to carry the holster in a way that's attached to your body securely. All of those things that come from the education and training that I think you and I are both huge fans of, that should be something that we're, we're expecting, um, that we're, you know, maybe even get putting a little pressure and shame on the person that says, ah, you know, I grew up in Texas, I don't need no training. Yeah, you do. You know, I was in the military is a big one, right? Well, great. You were in the military, but they didn't teach you to carry a Glock at the mall with your kids. So how about you take that class? Um, and I think even in permitless carry states, we do see it's actually a little bit liberating because when, when the government doesn't, for a four-hour course, give you a piece of plastic that says you're certified and you're allowed, I think it puts the onus on the individual to say, well, gee, I know I've never taken a class and they end up going out and finding a much better class um, because I've never seen the mandatory class in, in any state. I've never seen a mandatory class that meets what I personally think should be the minimum level of education and skill development to be out in the public with a gun, really believing you're capable of defending yourself. Um, so I think it, it's something you should do. I do not think it's something the government should tell you that you have to do. And one of the big reasons for that, um, aside the obvious principal reason, is that the government doesn't do a good job of it. Um, I think that the, the mandatory classes are lowest common denominator, you know, kind of certificate mill events uh, that give people a false sense of confidence uh, at best. We'll certainly agree on that. I've, I've long said if you put the government in charge of the desert, we'd be out of sand in five years. <laughs> there you go. All right. So thanks very much for your time. For the people who are listening, this has been Rob Pincus, the Executive Vice President, Second Amendment Organization, and Frank Borelli uh, from Officer.com. 
We've been talking about the Second Amendment. We encourage you to share this podcast with those who might benefit from it. And given the tone of this one, maybe some folks are trying to change their outlook about the Second Amendment in a positive light. Rob, thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, sir. Have a great one, everybody. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.